Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Coach's Corner University podcast. I am your host, Paul Oneid, and today I'm going to do a little bit of better job shouting out our sponsors, because we do have sponsors that help me pay the bills in no way, shape, or form. Um, you, We are first sponsored by Master Athletic Performance, where we are raising the bar for online coaching. Obviously, it's the Coach's Corner University podcast, so we're sponsored, sponsored by Coach's Corner University. We're also sponsored by Bacon and Barbells. You can visit at baconandbarbells.co on Instagram. Use code Paul10 to save on the best shorts in the game. Uh, we're sponsored by Grindstone Blends. You can use code POneed10 for the best cream of rice in the world. First Detachment Supplements, code Paul10 to save. And Flava Daddy Ottawa for your meal prep services. With all that out of the way today, I'm very happy to be joined by a good friend of mine, someone who I've had the pleasure of getting to know over the last year and seeing uh, grow, expand his expand his reach. And um, I, I said it to Liv the other day. I think in a year or two, Tyson is going to be someone who everyone knows. Um, and it's my pleasure to have him on the podcast. So welcome, Tyson Demeray. And uh, yeah, happy to have you, man. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And um, yeah, I'm excited just to sit and shoot the shit. Yeah, man. Um, it's been really cool to see your evolution over the last year or so. And actually in the last couple couple weeks, you know, stepping up the social media game and seeing some more like higher, um, like higher profile content put out and I'm hoping you're seeing the the return on investment there in terms of eyes because it's fun to watch, it's engaging, and it's also really informative and valuable. So, yeah, let's let's start it off. Like, who are you? Why are you on the podcast? Okay, well, um, you know, I'm I'm a personal. I started as a personal trainer. Um, I've been kind of personal training for for years. Um, it started in prison really. And I'll get into that a little bit earlier. Um, now in, in prison, you have to realize you're, you're not going to pay with it with, you know, kind of regular money. Um, it's kind of tuna, tuna and protein powder and, and eggs is how yeah. it was paid. Um, and, and, and that's, that's great way to get paid in there because you can never get enough protein. Um, so I kind of started with, with guys in there, helping them build better bodies. Cause you know, it's a place where you, you tend to have a bit more time to invest in yourself. But it's crazy how many people walked into the pen, whether I was in maximum or medium or, or minimum, and they all said the same thing. Oh, man, when I leave here, I'm going to be in the craziest shape. I'm going to have a six-pack. Like, if I had a can of tuna for every time I heard that, I'd have a lot of tuna. You'd probably have mercury poisoning. <laughs> I might have mercury. Yeah, I would definitely have mercury poisoning if they actually followed through on it. But, you know, um, and we'll get into this later, I'm sure. Uh, it, it ends up that the intentions are there, the motivation is there, but the desire, drive, and discipline is not. And when they realize the actual effort uh, that is required in changing the habits that they've been living with, the complacent life, lifestyle they've had for however many years, they give up rather quickly. It's very much like the New Year's resolution. Mm. So that's kind of where I, I began the journey of being a personal trainer. I was in very good shape. Um, you know, part of survival in prison is, you know, survival of the fittest. If you want to be left alone, uh, which I did, I had a very uh, serious charge, a very serious sentence. Um, so if I were to get into any any problems, 
um, in, in a fight or or any kind of um, you know, uh, let's say trafficking inside, which happens quite a bit, um, it could add years to my sentence. So it was very important for me to keep a low profile um, and to just have a presence that most people, um, you know, either respected because I was respectful to to everyone, mm-hmm. um, but to be quiet and just to kind of say, well, he's a fairly capable looking guy. Maybe we should leave him alone. So um, that's kind of the the start that my personal training um, uh, took. Um, When I got out of of, uh, prison, I started in construction and hated it with a passion. I I mean, I was was blessed for the opportunity. I worked with a friend and his father, and I love them for everything that they they taught me. I'm forever grateful to them. Um, But I just didn't like it. Um, I was miserable every day. Um, I just would like be working until it was Friday and I couldn't wait for a, a two day break. Um, and you know, I, and I kind of thought that I was relegated, you know, especially in prison, you, you think you're kind of relegated to, to trade work because you have a criminal record. So who's, who's going to hire you? Right. Right. Um, while I was still, getting my, my feet underneath me after being in prison for 10 years. Um, I uh, decided at the halfway house that I'd start doing personal training part-time, which was very hard because I was doing halfway house in Gatineau. Mm-hmm. My wife-to-be was in Barhaven. So I had, and I worked in Ottawa. So the driving and the coordination and the time management was insane. I was very close to burnout. Yeah. within the first the first year because I could you know just enough time to to go from Gatineau to Ottawa back to the halfway house to do a check-in for an hour for dinner to Barhaven to spend time with my wife to train a client back to, for, for curfew in in Gatineau to do some cleaning and chores at the halfway house before bed to be up at 4 30 or 5 the next morning it was just like a year of nuttiness um and in um, 2019, I got enough clients towards the end of the year that I, I basically had to decide of, do I continue in construction and the job that I hate? Or do I take a leap of faith? And I talked to my, my dear wife uh, and I asked her, and I mean, this, this woman's had my back. And I know you know the importance yeah. of having a solid partner. Um, she believed in my passion. See, she believed in my dream. And um, on December 31st, 2019 was my last day in construction. January 1st, 2020 was when I started personal training. Two weeks after starting personal training full-time, the gym that I was working out of shut its doors. Now, let me tell you, getting a job at Good Life in Mavadi with a criminal record is not going to happen. Right. So I was literally up Shit's Creek. I didn't know where I was going to go. One of the trainers from that gym went to school with Nick and was fortunate enough to bring me along with him because he was going to go there and, and, and train. I met Nick. Nick said, I don't care about your past. It's what you bring to the table. And he offered me the opportunity to start my business. So um, by the beginning of February, my system was... Um, my business. I got it registered. I got, um, you know, kind of the sole proprietorship yep. and, uh, and started it up. 
Uh, the funny thing is with mind system, I originally had it as an anagram. Really? It's yeah. I, and no one knows this. Okay. I, I do not talk about this. So when I, when I was in prison, one of my buddies was a really big Ben Pikulski fan and his training methods. So he sent me a lot of the MI40 stuff so I could kind of catch up on all the stuff that I, I had never seen while I was right. institutionalized. You know, we don't have access to that stuff. So I was like, oh, these are some really cool principles I've never seen before. So I read and, and did some research and I was just kind of impressed with that. I, I, I followed some of the stuff when I got out and I like some of the mindset stuff and, you know, other things. And I'm like, oh, I like that muscular intelligence thing. So when I started Mind System, it actually stands for, and now everyone's going to know, originally it was for Muscular Intelligence Nutritional Development System. I like it better now. Oh, I do too. Because it's genuine now. Yep. But I thought it was, it was something at the time that I felt spoke to me. Yeah. Now, as we evolve, our, our perception, our focus, and things change. So as, as you know now, I've kind of um, moved from personal training into coaching. And I was blessed to, to have you as a mentor. Um, shout out to, to this man right here for showing me so much, teaching me so much when it comes to growing my business. I wouldn't be where I am right now if it weren't for a lot of the principles that he shared with me. Um, and, and I'm going to be eternally grateful and I'll always give credit and props. So um, guys, thank you. if you're ever looking for someone to help you with your business, you'll look no further. This man, I swear by him. Thank you. Um, so as you help me grow as a coach, um, with online, so with still with training and nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always kind of been mentoring my clients from a life co- life coaching standpoint. I've actually been doing it since prison. And if I if I really look back at to when did I start mentoring people and helping people, people have been coming into my cell since I got my act together. Mm-hmm. Because even in a very dark unhappy, dangerous, violent place, I had peace. Now, no one here is going to know what this is like, but I'm going to paint you a really quick picture. In prison, within seven years, sometimes less, you are institutionalized, right? Your, um, all your freedoms, you basically now give up. They break you. Mm-hmm. Men, after seven years, and I've seen guys that have been there for 20, 30, 40 years, okay? They do not walk with their head up, their heads down. It's like watching an orca in captivity with this dorsal fin collapse. Our dorsal fin is that ability to, you know, posture up, mm-hmm. to walk with your head up with a clear and defined purpose, like you know where you're heading. Most guys there are just existing. They're just looking down and trying to get through life. So, you know, guys would come and just ask, like, why are you happy? What, like, what, how, how is this place not broken? You've broken, you've been in for this long and, so I, I just, I'd share my experience with people. I was, I'm, I'm an open book and you know this. Yeah, I'm for sure. very open about my past. I'm talking about it right now. Um, and the reason why 
is that I share openly my past, not just so that people, especially my, my survival coaching, my, my life coaching clients um, will feel uh, easier with sharing, you know, their personal struggles with me, but I share it because I don't want my past to have any power over me. My mistakes do not define me as a man. They're just mistakes. Yeah. That's it. Um, and I know that's the case because <laughs> if it wasn't, I am a lifer. Now, a lifer is someone who is literally sentenced to life in prison with uh, an eligibility of parole. Eligibility does not mean guaranteed. Right. So I had a life sentence with an eligibility at 10 years. So I had to work really hard on proving that I had redeemed myself and I was worthy of a second chance. So my, my focus now with my clients is, as I said, it's called survival coaching. And, you know, I might not have a doctorate or a master's from university, but I do have a doctorate in the School of Hard Knocks. You have a you have an advanced degree in life under the most obscene conditions, and you know as you were talking and describing, you know the way you put it is life in captivity. I see so many people day to day in their own personal prisons whether it be a prison of a job that they hate, whether it be a prison of a relationship that they're not fulfilled in. Um, but in more cases than not, it's a prison that they've kind of put themselves in of their own mind and the buildup of limiting beliefs that they have. And I think, you know, while you started your business, we'll call it from the surface level, right? So like muscle intelligence, nutritional development. That's really surface level. Like, Absolutely. And and if I'm if I don't want to get into a conversation with somebody and they ask what I do, I say I coach nutrition and training online. But when you take that anagram away and you say mind system, and I know you and I know what you do, and I know that the the trajectory of your business now towards this more uh, life coaching, survival coaching, you're really using training and nutrition as a vehicle to unlock people's minds to what's actually possible within their own lives. And that goes a lot deeper than muscles and nutrition. Yeah. And I fucking love that. I love when people actually truly unlock, like it's probably the, the happiest I am in, in the work that I do. When I see that light bulb go off in someone's head that when they realize like, no, there's a deeper reason that I do this and they start pivoting towards that. And I see how excited you are and like putting it into perspective, you started your business in 2019. Now we're in 20, 2020 and there's a pandemic. That's only three yeah. years ago, right? That's only three years ago. So in three years, there's been this evolution where you've made a living personal training. You've transitioned that, you know, probably 50, 50 to online. And now you're, you run a hybrid business. You, you have now a third revenue vertical. 
and it's ignited this new passion within you to serve people in a different way. And I just think that's, that's really important to highlight because I think far too often people put themselves in this box of what they should be. It's like, I'm a personal trainer. It's like, okay, well, the key word there is personal. And what are you going to do with that person in front of you when they have things outside of physical limitations? It's like, oh, I can, I can, I can rehab their, any injury. I was like, cool. What if they're scared to get under a bar after you rehab them? That's not a physical problem. That's a cognitive problem. Well, I can give them macros. It's like, cool. What if they can't follow them? Oh, I can give them a meal plan. Well, what if they can't follow that? <laughs> right. <laughs> so as I get into, you know, this more and more, and I've been doing this, I mean, for 18 years now, coaching clients, you come to realize that the nuts and bolts, the X's and O's, it only goes so far. Yeah. And I think you can, now I'm going to open back up the floor to you and like speak a little bit into how you've used this, you know, you, you just essentially looked at the needs of the clients in front of you and you mm -hmm. looked in the mirror and said, what tools do I have to help these people? And you're like, oh yeah, I have this advanced degree that no one else has. How do I use it? How do I package it? Take, take it from here, man. So you, you, you hit it, the nail on the head, you know, nothing kills a man faster than his thoughts. Yep. The hardest prison to escape is your mind. Okay. We're all doing time. All of us. Mm -hmm. We're all doing a life sentence. We're relegating ourselves to a life of mediocrity and complacency. And that's acceptable to 90% of the people. And you know what? I can't do anything to change those people. I can't because that's like me telling you that every person I talked to in prison was successful in hitting their goals. No, small percentage, small. So what I'm looking for in the people that, that I'm dealing with are those that acknowledge their limitations. And, and look, I'm, I, I'm very passionate. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I love my job. Mm -hmm. Every day I wake up excited, like pumped up. But I, I have to then kind of remember to humble myself, despite the very lived experience that I've had that, you know, puts me, I think, ahead of my peers in that sense. Well, you, the, you have a perspective. Practical. You have a very firm yeah. perspective. Yeah. Yeah. On, on, on reality, on reality. Like, I mean, we can all, you know, sing Kumbaya and meditate and, you know, we can all, oh, you're a victim. Oh, poor you. I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that. You know what? You had a role to play in where you are. Absolutely. Shut up. Stop. Stop. You're, you're not, you're, yes. Perhaps you went through a trauma. Not saying people don't experience that. Absolutely. Okay. Not saying you weren't a victim of something. I was a victim of childhood abuse, right? My mom literally had to move across the country in the middle of the night because my dad was a psycho. Mm -hmm. He wanted to kidnap me and put me in a cult with him that believed in aliens. Like, I shit you not. Sounds my like mom had to script. run across Canada. Yeah. She had, to, she had to run across Canada to live at my grandparents. She got a lawyer and he said, you can't even get a parking ticket or pulled over by a cop right now because you were technically in in like the laws of the, in the, uh, the eyes of the law, you're, you kidnapped your son. 
So until she got this all cleared up, she had to keep a low profile in order to, to keep me safe. Mm. And I still squandered that gift that my mom risked her freedom for. I didn't appreciate it. So you want to talk about redemption. I've been trying to do this for about as long as I could, I could live that I can remember. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things, you know, as a man, I, I live with regret and that's, I think that's any man. So what I try to convey to the, the women or the men that I work with is we all have a Mount Everest. Every Mount Everest was conquered with a couple things. So even, it doesn't matter how experienced the climber was. They all had a Sherpa. They all had a guide that knew the way, that had done it before. Mm-hmm. And they all had the tools and resources to use at the appropriate times. Right. So I'm not here to tell you I know it all. And I'm not here to say you're not confident of doing it or I'm going to provide you with something that you don't already have. No, you have, everyone has the same tools and resources that I have. Mm-hmm. The only difference is that I'm experienced at using them at the appropriate times and acknowledging the dangers when they approach. I think so. That's it. Like, you know, just like with fat loss and with building muscle, there's, there's really nothing new. Right. I think there's a lot, a lot to tease out of that because I think as a coach, it's our job, not necessarily to teach anyone anything new because at the core, I think people know what they should be doing, right? Like you don't have to have some sort of magnificent life experience to know that fruits and vegetables are probably better than danishes. Well, but danishes are delicious. And sometimes you want a danish. I do. I do. Yeah. Um, but I think as coaches, what we do is, is we work to flip that switch in the person's mind and move towards this attitude of accountability, this attitude of self-reliance and this, like the victim mindset to me, and this is something I've been diving into a little bit more. So it's a bit fresh in my head. Um, this attitude of external locus of control. So when we look at failure, it's much easier to accept that a failure is due to circumstances outside of, of our own personal control. So take, take the fat loss example. I can't lose body fat because losing body fat is complicated. I'm failing because it's complicated. Then if, you, if we come in, and I, I run into this with uh, marketing all the time, with talking with coaches about how to market, and they're like, fat loss is easy. It's like, when you call fat loss easy, you would t- essentially tell people that they're shit. Yeah. Because for them, it's complicated. So, but when we win at something, it's more fulfilling to say, this win was because of my effort. What we need to do is is teach people to apply that same internal locus of control to everything in their lives. Absolutely. And you you mentioned it with trauma, the idea that, you know, you are a victim of something. Absolutely. Bad things happen. I remember a couple of years ago, I made a post on Instagram and it was just a black square and it says, you're not a victim. 
I got a bunch of likes. I got so much hate, you know, Oh, you're saying that my sister who got raped isn't a victim. And I was like, pump your brakes there, Turbo. That's not what I said. Yeah. But even in the most heinous of situations, how you respond to being a victim, how you take that situation, regain control, use that perspective to move forward in your life in a positive way. You're going to need help. You're going to need therapy. You're going to need support. You need all of those things, but you are capable of moving forward. And there's many people who are evidence of that ability, but that internal locus of control is so, so important. And I'm wondering, you know, you sent me a document earlier about cognitive distortions. And I think this is a perfect pivot into that conversation where we have these stories in our mind that we make up that essentially shape our reality. And so the words we use, whether it be talking about, uh, what does peanut butter taste like? like That's my comfort food. But it tastes like (laughs) you have no, unless someone has tried peanut butter, they have no idea. But when I say peanut butter, that language creates an emotion within you, right? Absolutely. It's the same thing in our heads, right? So if I say I'm a victim, that creates a reality for me. Yeah. And I'm it's, the, it's the power of word. Yeah. So right, so we're we're, we're in, vocalizing. Yeah. We're we're saying, "Well, I am a victim." Now we're solidifying it. Mm. Right. So that's that's the thing. So for myself, so I'll, I'll I'll give everyone a brief background here. So let's before we get into the cognitive distortions, let's let's uh let's open up the box of how I was a victim. Sure. Okay. Or I, how I perceived I was a victim. So, um. And I'll, I'll give you a quick, I'll give you the Coles notes of what kind of happened leading up to the the whole prison thing and what I gleaned from. And I think this will give people kind of an introspective of how you go from victim to victor. Now, this is 87,000, as I've told you, you know, I've, I've said yeah. this a few times. This is 87,000 hours worth of work. This is what 10 years and going continued education on myself what this takes okay so if anyone's like oh yeah that makes sense yeah i understand how long it took me to work through this so in my early 20s i was homeless okay i was living out of my car and off of my friends couches in fact there was a period of time because it was during the winter that i had to sneak into a uh underground garage to sleep in a closet in order to stay warm okay this isn't a boohoo by the way people please don't feel pity this is my own stupidity that that got me here okay I had cancer at 26. I had half my sternum removed. Um, I was betrayed by my ex, okay, and sentenced to life in prison at 28. This led me to spending more than a quarter of my life behind bars. So during my time in prison, I learned to take accountability for my actions and stop playing the victim. Okay, now, for a long time, I felt, well, my ex ratted me out. And my co-accused got me to go along with this, this crime by lying to me. Now, the night that it happened, what he had done is he had come to see me at my condo. Now, this was a guy I bounced with, I bled with, I fought with. Like, he was like a brother to me. Okay? Um, and he came and he said, you know, Tyson, there's a guy. He raped my friend's girlfriend. 
I had very poor morals and values, but there's a certain code of conduct among criminals. You don't touch kids and you don't touch women. If you do that and you're in prison and you go into gen pop, you will die. If you're in maximum security and medium security, you will die. I kid you not. Someone will go after you. Okay. So when he said that I was triggered because my ex who I was with at the time had been sexually assaulted. My mother's been sexually assaulted. My aunt's been sexually assaulted. So I've got a real hate and contempt for people like any, any normal person would. So it triggered me. But what's funny is the story he told me, my gut felt like there was something that was off. Mm. But I allowed myself to become influenced by this, I don't want to say knight in shining armor, but this whole valiant protector, I'm righteous, no one should do that. So we, we moved against this guy, and it got out of hand. He ended up dead. He went for a gun and um, I basically crushed his throat while holding him in a, in a chokehold and it took his life. He died the next day. So I ended up finding out six months into provincial. So waiting my sentencing, this is pre-trial. I ended up finding out from discovery that the guy never did that. The reason why we were actually going after him was because my friend was actually someone who sold steroids for me. I had a lab at the time with another partner of mine and he was one of my sellers and I had cuffed him $5,000 worth of steroids that he then cuffed to this individual and he refused to pay him. So I went to go do a collection for my own product without knowing that's what I was doing. So I took a man's life for a measly $5,000. So when you come to terms with this, which I, I couldn't for, for years, I blamed everyone except for myself. I blamed the abuse I went through as a kid. I blamed my co-accused. I blamed my ex. It was everyone's fault but my own. And external local and it, control, yeah. Dude, like, I, I challenge anyone to, to find a better example of this to the extreme. And it was literally mm -hmm. to the extreme. When people, we had a, in this in this life coaching course that I'm, I'm now taking, they asked to do a three-chair approach where you have a chair of negative self-talk, a chair of judging and a chair of support. And when I gave my feedback, they're like, oh, we want you to visualize. This is going to sound silly. We want you to visualize. I'm like, silly. Well, that's what I did basically for the first three years of my sentence. I was, it was negative self-talk and nothing but contempt and judgment of myself. I've been judged by a jury of my peers and sentenced to life in prison. And that wasn't as bad as what I had accuse myself of uh, dude everything you're saying is like 
Yep, totally. I've done the same stuff. Obviously not the same situation, but like in different scenarios, right? Yeah, we, we all have. And that's and that's why people relate to it is my mine is an extreme. Absolutely. Yeah. But we we've all done it. So it's like it wasn't until I participated in restorative justice. Okay. So I actually went and listened to victims of violent crimes. The one that's that that blew my mind was a couple that actually headed our restorative justice program was a husband and wife. I tell you to sit down, but you already are. So they went out for a dinner. They came back home to find their daughter dead by the hands of their son. Yeah. Jesus Christ. So imagine you're losing both your children in one night. One to death and one to prison. Bro, I heard that story. They sat there and they told that story. I'm just giving, again, the Coles notes of it. But the hole that left in my, my soul, the empathy you feel for these people. Like, I remember going and getting, getting sentenced now, I went to court alone. I had no support there. I had no family, no friends show up. And, sorry, my dog's in the background there, doing what dogs do. Yeah. Um, I went to court, and I had basically a shady-ass lawyer who actually tried to take my... The only thing I had left of any value of material, which I guess at that point mattered, was a Panerai watch, a $10,000 watch. I had given it to him in hopes that I wouldn't get taken by the prison only to find out he actually tried to hawk it and pawn it and get it appraised by a jeweler that I knew. And he knew it was my watch. <laughs> so anyways, um, I walked into that courtroom facing the victim's family alone. And I'll tell you, man, when those parents told their story, my mind shifted to seeing them staring at me with hate and contempt. And at that moment, I felt like I was still a victim in some kind of delusional way. Right. And I thought, holy shit. Like, it, it's time to put your big boy pants on and start making some serious changes in your life. And it was, it was there. The insight into the pain that I caused, man, there was empathy right there. Yeah. And in turn, I was able to start forgiving people that had hurt me. My dad, my grandfather, others. I was like, okay, I, I have to start moving past these things. I'm, I'm living with all this hate and, and anger. Why? It's just taking my energy. And when I learned to forgive them, I finally was able to forgive myself. And then I started to find some peace. So I don't think of it as 10 years lost when I think of my time in prison. No, I, th I think of the perspective, the insight, and the experience that I gained from that experience. Like, it's, it's helped me become, are. yeah. It helped define me as one of the most dedicated, 
determined individuals that anyone's ever going to meet. Yep. Like, even if I fail at something, which I'm not afraid of, because I've, <laughs> trust me, I've, I've seen failure. It doesn't scare me. It's like, okay, so what do I got to do different? Like, let's go. Well, failure ceases to exist, right? So failure ceases to be to, to exist because you know that no matter what befalls you, you have the control to change your scenario. Um, yep. And, you know, I'm just thinking about within your, within your story, it was the moment you heard the story, the, the story from these parents that kind of unlocked it for you. One thing that I think many coaches miss the boat on when trying to create change for those that they work with is the ability to unlock that trigger for change, that call to action. You think about the person that's completely unhealthy until they have a heart attack. And then the heart attack is that impetus for change. And I just worked, yeah. I just started working with a gentleman, uh, Franco from the gym reached out to me at a, he had had a heart attack a couple like a year ago he's finally in a position where he's you know allowed to, tr- to get back to training and he wanted some help with his nutrition but he didn't recognize how unhealthy he was until he had a heart attack i think everyone has a different trigger and yeah. yours was a trigger on the emotional side of things to like figure your shit out but when we're talking about you know, using the vehicle of nutrition and training to unlock the mind, you have to find that trigger for people. Absolutely. So how do you do that? What's, you know, how do we, how do we get past these, you know, the cognitive distortions I mentioned earlier, are essentially the stories you told yourself about victimhood. So again, you know, some of the things, especially as I work more with my clients over the years, um, you know, look, when they start, I mean, the gym's a great way to develop the discipline, the structure, you know, and and all that stuff. All the things we've heard a million TikToks and Instagram posts say, which is true. It's great. It's 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 inspiring. I love seeing that. I'm not I'm not criticizing it at all. Um, but then I like to ask my client, okay, so let's say a year down the road or six months down the road or however long it takes, we get your six pack, whatever you know, your six pack, whatever that is. Are you going to be more happy, more fulfilled? You know, and most of them are kind of like, well, it's just, it's a goal. I'm like, okay, no, like I'm all for your goals, but you're looking for something that you're going to be able to objectively get if you listen to everything that I say as your coach. Mm -hmm. But what do you think is going to give you greater fulfillment? So my focus now is shifting from the, body to the inner six pack as i like to um yeah as i like to call it so i i want my clients to kind of be able to realize okay what matters more and what really facilitates long-term change of sustainability with a healthier lifestyle which is what i promote is address what's internal first if that's a trauma, if that's you being a victim of something, whatever it is, we need to address that first. Because a lot of us coaches, we think, well, you know, uh, uh, you know, a calories a calorie, a protein, a, you know, fat, carbs, whatever. Like, 
track this, do this, do that exercise. You're going to get the body you want. But what you don't realize is why someone's doing what they're doing. So for instance, for myself, I was using food and we're going to get into this shortly, but I was using food as a coping mechanism in prison. I allowed myself to actually get quite close to obesity. I was 275 pounds with a 42 inch waist. You're lying. I kid you not. I've got to find the pictures I had when I was in prison, but I went from, I came into prison about 245 pounds jacked, but I mean, I was on, I was on a buttload of, of gear. Um, and it like I, my system crashed hard in prison and um, I then started to turn to food, especially in federal in provincial. You're, you're basically like malnourished, not malnourished basically the whole time when you get into federal and I went to the kitchen for my job, you now have access to actually like decently good food. So I started eating my emotions. It was a coping mechanism. For anyone who doesn't know Tyson and who may, might be listening, he's probably the most vascular human being I've ever met in like day-to-day life. We're not talking about like he's dieting for a contest. He's walking around at like 6% all the time. Yeah, I'd say probably 7 I think I'd say up to 8 maximum. But yeah, year-round, I'm single digit. Yeah. And I hold that comfortably. Like I'm never dead. No, you're never, you're never also like dieting so strict. You can't enjoy meals with your wife and stuff. No, my, my daily intake is anywhere from 3000 to 3,500 on average. Right. Yeah. You know, so, so it's, it's reasonable. Here you say you that know? you're 275 and fat. I was like, okay. dude, 275 and fat. And I, I promise I will find the pictures and, and, and I will, I will bring proof. Okay. Proof of life, proof of fat, <laughs> proof. <laughs> um, and this, and this is where it gets interesting. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you guys an example. So there's a, um, uh, there's a, a, a book series that I was listening to and I was talking about why people, you know, do certain things. Um, now if you and I had this lady as a client, the one I'm going to refer to, we again might just say, well, you got to eat less, you got to move more, blah, 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 blah. Well, this, this girl they ended up finding out this woman, they ended up finding out that the reason why she became morbidly obese was that she was sexually assaulted at a younger age. So her coping mechanism wasn't just food in the sense, well, food makes me feel comfortable. She didn't even realize that she wanted to become undesirable in the sense that she wanted to become invisible so that that wouldn't happen again. Yeah. So now I, you know, Again, we, we tend to think of, well, there's black and white of how you lose weight, but now here's the gray. Oh, oh for sure. And that's, so like, the gray is coaching. Like everything we do exists in the gray. Yeah. Yeah. So that really opened up my eyes to the fact like, okay, I've had a lot of success with clients. I've transformed a lot of bodies. And that's made me feel good. Don't get me wrong. It's brought me plenty of fulfillment to make people happy. But the greatest joy I've ever had was when I transformed the mind. And I'm, and I'm not a clinical psychologist, psychiatrist, or anything like that. But I am a mindset coach. Because if I can conquer the depths of despair that you encounter in the day-to-day life of prison, you can conquer anything. And I'm confident that we are all capable 
of like conquering our own self-imposed prison. So this gets into this cognitive distortion of the, the truth about the should. Now I sent you this and Mm -hmm. this was very um, eye opening to me. And this is actually how I start off all of my, my survival coaching clients. The first, the first kind of session we have together, because pretty much everyone I work with, is using one of these things that we're going to cover as a coping mechanism. So the cognitive distortions, so the truth about shoulds. So again, this kind of goes into the, we can say the the negative self-talk, mm-hmm. the should, could, right? Could have, I should have. So it says, why do we tell ourselves lies? To avoid the feelings that arise when we face and embrace reality. We often avoid the truths of our lives by waiting for fantasies to become true rather than face what is true. So waiting for is real to become unreal is how we lie to ourselves about our loved ones, ourselves, and life itself. Hmm. We suffer because we fight reality a fight we always lose yep the lies we tell ourselves are invisible to us that's why we need a coach or a therapist to help us see those lies and the cost they inflict then we can begin to face the truths that we've avoided for so long. I love that. I love that. And I love that because it speaks to so many different things that I think a lot of people deal with day to day. And and whether, you know, whether we're going to approach this conversation and frame it as how Tyson coaches his clients or frame it from the perspective of how we as coaches address our own limitations and our own limiting beliefs should statements are one of the most challenging things to overcome. I remember meeting a person within the last couple of years, actually. And, oh, you know, I should do this and I should do that. And, you know, within the context of our relationship, I was like, man, I don't respect you at all. Cause you should do a lot of things, but you do nothing. Yeah. But then slowly but surely, he started doing stuff. And not only did did his respect for himself grow, but my obviously my respect for him grew as well. And I think it's within that respect for self and turning those shoulds into get tos. You know, I should do this. Well, I get to do this. Or I have to do this. Or... You know, those types of things, like the words we tell ourselves, the language we use to frame reality. How about I'm excited? Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. excited to do this. I uh, I actually wrote this down. Let me let me pull it up because I think it's worth noting. So when I was at uh, I was at the conference this weekend, I wrote this down. I said, so we, so you said telling lies to ourselves. Mm-hmm. The way I framed it was keeping promises. So for me, when I keep, when I make a promise to somebody and I can't follow through on it, the amount of guilt and shame that I feel is so deep. And I know that most people 
if they can't hold true to a promise they've made to somebody else, they feel like shit. But if they break a promise to themselves, they just brush it off. Absolutely. So, you know, we fall short on ourselves all the time, whether it's, I'm only going to have three drinks this weekend and you have five, or I'm going to do my cardio tonight and you don't. Right. It's like every time you break a promise to yourself, you're just bringing down your level of self-respect. Yeah. It, and it's that virtue of selfishness. Like I have to take care for myself before I can care to others. I have to pour into my own cup yeah. before I pour into others. Um, when was the last time that you apologized to yourself when you fell short on a promise you, you wanted to keep? It's actually a good question. Last time I had to apologize to myself for falling short. And you know, you don't have to answer. And I don't, I don't think I had. No, I'm, I'm actually, I actually think that's a, that's a great, it's a great question because I'm like, when was the last time I didn't really hit an objective? Well, mine was last um, Fair enough. <laughs> I wanted, I told myself because I, I didn't have time to do cardio in the morning because I had some appointments. I was like, I'm going to do cardio before I go to bed. And by the time it was eight, eight 30, I still had about an hour left of work. So I'm like, guess I'm not doing cardio tonight. But to me, I apologize. I said, listen, your priorities aren't, are where they need to be. The priority is on work. So you got to follow through on this. And you know, I apologized and moved on. And I did a little bit extra this morning. So make up. And that's what a high accountability man does. And that's like, that's why I was so eager and willing to work with you because you you don't just talk a good game because you're you are good with your words, sir. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but 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 you live it. You live it, yeah. and that's the only way I'm ever going to take direction from someone is is by seeing their actions speak louder than their words. Hundred percent. And yeah, man. You know, I, I can't fucking stand it when people, you know, and maybe this is you know a bit of venting, but who cares? The number <laughs> of people who who purport to be something that they're not through social media, the number of people who, you know, talk a big, well, I got it. I got an analogy for that. I got an analogy I for that. Can I, can, can, can I, can I use yeah. it? Okay. Okay. Write this down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, um, I, I actually told this to my wife and my wife was like, well, what do you mean? And then she got it. And she was like, Oh man. She's like, that's good. So, um, I can, I compare, fitness influencers and, and a lot of trainers to strippers. Now, I used to be in the strip clubs a lot when I was younger. I used to drive dancers, okay? I never really cared about it, but it was just a part of my job. And I was a doorman in strip clubs. So, under the right lights, these ladies of the night can appear very beautiful with the right music a little bit of alcohol we think they are unbelievable tens now you get them under the real light and all their flaws come out the c-section scars the balcony the missing tooth the the fake hair the analogy is that's exactly what our industry is is basically become. It's become a really sad uh, fitness influencer 
area. Like there's just, there's nothing of substance anymore. Because when you take their stuff and you look at it under, under the real light, you're just like, there's holes everywhere. It's horrible. There's holes everywhere. There's it's disingenuous. The, the, what gets me is that it's disingenuous, right? You can tell yeah. those people who are putting out content for the purpose of making money, and you can tell the people that are putting out content for the purpose of helping people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, this isn't to say that there aren't people that do a fantastic job, right? There are there Absolutely. are a lot of people that go above and beyond to provide value. Um, yes, but those are seldom the people with the audiences that can actually have a big impact. And that's the unfortunate nature of marketing. Uh, it was actually a quote from this weekend that I think is really, really cool. It's like marketing ruins industries mm-hmm. because m- marketing can sell a bad product. V shred, V shred, you know, um, all the, you know, uh, what's it called isogenics, right? There's yeah. so many, you know, marketing selling shit products and educating people into this idea that certain things need to be certain ways. Uh, But all we can do as coaches and as people passionate about driving value is be the signal in the noise is be the best versions that we can be and And be authentic, be authentic and serve others. And it will like the cream rises to the top, right? There's a reason V shreds isn't around anymore. Right. There's a yeah. reason that that some of these things have fallen off. And I can't I can't even remember them off the top of my head, but I've I've seen them as they've come through. Um absolutely. And I because think, you know why we don't remember is is it doesn't it doesn't uh, matter in the end. It didn't have an emotional impact on us. And and at the end of the day, I don't care if I have five followers or five hundred thousand, as long as the people that I get to interact with on a daily basis actually get value from what I have to offer. Yeah, that's really all I care about. Um, now, I want to be mindful of time as we're getting close to that hour mark. I do have some quick hit questions that are in no way related to anything that we've talked about. <laughs> Absolutely. What was the most epic cheat meal you've ever had? Oh, actually, that was in prison. I think it was probably one of the craziest. Okay. Um, so I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember the actual um, breakdown of what we had. So there was two guys that lived in my condo um, that I actually, and very rarely do you actually make friends in prison. You make acquaintances, but you, you don't really ever make friends. But there's right. two guys that actually became friends. And this is in minimum. So um, we did a breakfast of, um, it was pancakes with cookies, Nutella, peanut butter, icing. Like it was just, it was, yeah, it was ridiculous. It was like literally a like diabetes induced coma of calories and carbs and sugar. That was a breakfast. Um, Meal two was, oh shoot. I think I want to say it was, uh, it was burgers. If I'm not mistaken. So it was a whole day of binging. Perfect. Now, the reason why is it was a, um, uh, it was like, I was doing at this time, this like intermittent fasting, the, the big rage back in, you know, 2000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to say it was 2016 when I did this. Okay. Um, and, uh, and then basically the following day I'd be fasting for 24 hours. 
So I was, I was like retardedly ripped at this time. So I could allow for like this kind of stupid amount of calories with this eight hour window that I had to eat. So yeah, it was like, it was a, it was like a burger. It was a sandwich of some kind with chips, like Doritos. I remember it was Doritos. And then dinner uh, was a calzone, two massive calzones that were like, I don't know, stupid. Okay. Um, with a carrot cake. I honestly don't know how many calories I had consumed that day. Probably 20 grand. Probably. I I think it would be one of those, um, what is it, like the, the 10,000 calorie challenge? It definitely yeah. did that and then some. That's awesome. So that was probably my craziest, not cheat meal, but cheat day. I would love to to do one of those and actually track. Because I've I've done crazy crazy food stuff, but I've never actually tracked it. Um, yeah. What is one album you could listen to with no skips? Ooh. Weezer, the Blue Album, first one. Okay. What is the scariest set you've ever done in a workout? Oh. Oh. Um. You know, we almost had a, we had a, that one workout we did was, was pretty brutal. You, myself and, and, and Paul, yeah. that was, that was definitely up there, but I'd say the craziest was again, I'm going to go to prison in medium security on leg press. So we did a, I think it was, I did 64 reps with a weight that I should have been like, it would have been a max effort of a, you know, probably about 25 reps. Mm-hmm. And it was basically a rest pause until I hit 64 where I literally got stuck underneath. They had to pull the plates off and finally went up. I crawled out and just kind of laid on the side. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it that was probably the most brutal intense set. Like, I don't even remember how bad, the, like, the, sh- the the shit we did in prison sometimes, guards would come and just ask, like, are you well? Like, are what's wrong with you? We, you I actually kill yourself with box, Yeah, like, I, I actually did box jumps once on the end of leg day on a pool table because we had nothing else to do box jumps off of. It was this dilapidated old pool table on my last round on my fifth box jump. I think my last one my feet slipped and I smashed my shins on the um, edge of the pool table and opened them both up to the bone. I had to be brought into the hospital in a wheelchair, looking like Hannibal Lecter cuffed from the the waist down to my feet and ankles wheeled in on the wheelchair to get my shins stitched up. And everyone in the, in the hospital, I was brought to the Abbotsford uh, emergency in BC and everyone was looking at me like, Oh my God, what the hell? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, th- yeah, I've got I've got some prison stories, bro. That's one of them. But yeah, that's I've had some crazy workouts in prison. Um, what was the next one? You plus five at a dinner table, dead or alive? Dead or alive? Well, my wife's my wife's got to be there because we're gonna we're gonna enjoy that. So Amen. my wife's got to be um, Jesus. David, uh, King David, King Solomon. Um, 
And oof. It's like I've never been asked that question before. Uh, my victim, my victim. You can dig it. Yeah. Yeah. I would um yeah. definitely need to to talk with him. Okay. At the risk of making a joke about it, have you ever heard Joey Diaz talk about how he is how he is friends with the guy he kidnapped now? No. You know who Joey Diaz is, right? The comedian? Yeah. Well, he went to jail for kidnapping. Oh, no. And after he got out of prison, he added the guy he kidnapped on Facebook. And now he now he chats with him and wishes him happy birthday every year. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's restorative justice. That's restorative justice right there. Um, last question. Most important question of the whole podcast. If there was one person that you would like me to interview on the podcast, who would it be? But the caveat is you have to help me get them on my podcast. So that has to be somebody you know. Oh, wow. That actually is a good question. Someone that I know. The way I do this is I just get you guys to do my job for me. You know what? I um, So, so my, my uh, life coaching course out of the 17 people that I'm currently um, in class with, six of them are doctors of various, yeah, of various sorts. There's one guy, um, I think his name is Ali, if I'm not mistaken. I've only had a brief interaction with him, but he basically is, uh, he works with children, with uh I think he's a, I want to say he's a psychologist. He works with something with the brain with, with children. Um, and just, you know, he talked about being burnt out and different things. Anyways, I would love to hear more from what his experience is. And yeah, it was probably the most humbling thing walking into that room thinking that I'd, I'd, I'd be king of the hill. And then I I'd come in with all these doctors and I'm like, well, eat some humble pie, boy. Mm-hmm. Dude, we talked about that yesterday. Those are the kind of rooms you need to be in if you want to grow. Oh, I'm so grateful to be in it. But that I think that would be someone I would I would love to hear more from. Yeah. Well, we'll get his contact information. Dude, I really appreciate your time and coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed this. I think you opening up about your past, not only, you know, has it hold no power over you, but you're also using it for good. You're using the experiences to help others. And like I said at the beginning, seeing your growth from, you know, a guy who just personal trains and helps people get jacked into somebody who is actually unlocking human potential and teaching people what can be accomplished within their lives has been awesome to see. So thank you so much for joining me. And uh, we'll definitely have to get another leg day for sure. Dude, absolutely. You, you know, I'm always down for it. And uh, yeah, thank you for the opportunity. And it's it's just, it's very humbling to be here and to have the opportunity to talk and share. So thank you. No problem. Thank you everyone for listening. Please make sure to like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell for notifications. If you need to get a hold of me, you can reach me through any channel. I'd be happy to chat. We'll talk to you soon.